Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 262 of JavaScript Jabber. Today on our panel, we have A.J. O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo and Dapley Labs. Woo! Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. And I'm your host, I'm Joe Eames, and we have a special guest on our show today, Jason Laster. Hello. So, Jason, you work over at Mozilla, right? I do. Could you give us a little bit of a background about who you are, what you've been working on lately, and uh, then we'll talk about why you're on the show. Sure. I joined Mozilla last March, and prior to that, I was at Etsy doing web development, and I couldn't help but be drawn into DevTools. I've been working on a Chrome DevTool extension called the Marinette DevTools, and even prior to that, I was at Recurse Center, where I worked on Ruby and, and Python REPLs, Pry and PyPython, and just loved the idea of thinking about DevTools as a productivity tool. And when I started working on Chrome DevTool extensions, like the Marinette DevTools, I realized that the browser is open source and you could actually hack on these tools, which was so much cooler than building something off to the side. So I kind of went back to my roots. I worked on Ruby, but this time in the browser and, and knew I wanted to, to do it. So I got lucky enough last year to land a gig on Firefox DevTools and I've been loving it ever since. Awesome. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what, what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber today. So today we're going to be talking about the new debugger in Firefox. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. Sure. Uh, so we had a crazy idea last year that wouldn't it be cool if we rebuilt the entire UI. Now, um, when I talked to most people, they hadn't even considered how uh, DevTools is written, but the, the basic idea is that it's just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Now, in the case of DevTools, 
uh, both Chrome and, and Safari and, and Firefox, it's really legacy JavaScript, like the kind of thing that you would have written in 2010. Um, and in Firefox's case, not only was it a really legacy JavaScript, but it was this special flavor of HTML and JavaScript called Zool and JSM. Zool standing for XML UI library, which was Firefox's own UI library that they built based on top of HTML. It was like Angular, but just HTML. And in JSM, which was a privileged version of JavaScript, which can do anything it wants to do. And, and last year, we kind of looked at this and thought, you know, we've been meaning to, they've been meaning to kill it for a long time because it only runs in this one special environment. And it doesn't even run very well anymore. It was, it was slow. It was hard to debug. Um, and, and we evaluated how we wanted to do it. And we decided that we were going to rewrite it in React. And, and not just one piece, but everything from scratch. So last March, we kind of began this like crazy path. Interesting. Um, when you were de- you decided to do this in React, uh, what made you decide to do it in React? Sure. Um, well, at the time, there was this big debate about whether we would use a framework at all or whether we would just use the web platform because, you know, if you want... Uh, better tools, you can add them to the platform. We are a browser company. Um, so the debate was, do we, do we use web components? Do we use something like React, something like Ember or Angular? And, and React seemed like the smallest choice, the closest to web components we could use with the right abstraction around components, um, which was something we were looking for. Very interesting. Now, um, I heard this rumor that Zool was a lot like uh, the Microsoft technology. You mentioned Zool. Isn't they have sure. XAML? Was it, is it, was it like XAML <laughs> at all? I'm actually not sure. What's XAML like? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I tried. To, I avoided working with it <laughs> when I did Microsoft. So, <laughs> um, I can give a brief overview of Zool um, because I often talk to people and oh, yeah, I used that in college. And, and really, I only saw it when I, I came in, but... Imagine there was no HTML and you wanted to write a select tag for the first time. Uh, Zool was like that. Their components for dropdowns and modals and everything was like HTML. But when you start debugging it, you see all the click handlers and the event handlers are JavaScript embedded inside of XML. And then what's going on? It's really, really tough to debug because uh, if you make a change to win these elements, where else is it used? Hmm. Hmm. Now, does the name have anything to do with the bad guy from Ghostbusters? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> do you remember that bad guy from There Is No Dana, Only Zool? <laughs> yes. That's definitely in the code. <laughs> so have you yourself worked a lot with Zool? Uh, I was lucky in that I could join, and then we very quickly jumped to React. Mm. And so for me, it was, all right, we have an HTML index page with nothing in it. 
where do we even begin? Like, how do we put in the first editor, the first call stack? Uh, we were literally starting from scratch. So I was spared a lot of the pain and kind of just got to see how you'd go through the process while I was working with a fantastic engineer, James Long, who'd been on the team for several years. And actually, when he left, uh, he went and worked on Prettier, which has been really successful. So I'm really excited for him. So, sorry. Um, now, did other developers, did external developers work with Zool or only internal? Was it only an internal tool? It was something that a lot of add-ons would be built on as well. Mm -hmm. And this gave a really nice consistency to Firefox. Like dropdowns would look the same, whether they're coming from an add-on or the toolbar or in dev tools. Um, but it was not something that could be run anywhere. It's not like you can like, drop a Zool component into your new website because it only runs in these privileged environments. Okay, so, um, but nowadays with the new, with the changes, you don't use, people don't use Zool anymore. It's no longer part of the ecosystem. So does that mean that if you, that React is now like the blessed way to do for external developers to work with uh, Mozilla, with Firefox, excuse me? Yeah. Um, so what we did was we created a GitHub repo. It was empty at the time, installed React, and started working on it. And, and this was a really big change for us because previously everything was inside of the Firefox repo. If you made a change to DevTools and it was a CSS change, you had to rebuild Firefox and then run your own version. So every external contributor would come in and, you know, HG clone or, or Git clone the project and they had to do everything. And with our debugger, you could Git clone this really small repo, NPM install, NPM start, and run it as just a website. Hmm. So uh, going to React was really important, but being able to run as a separate project and get started within like two minutes, that was what we were really excited about. And since then, it's been really fun to be able to tweet. We have this really cool bug, or we're working on this feature for the, the React community, or we just did a Node feature for um, highlighting Node modules and Node internals, and invite people to come in and help us. And it's been really fun to bring people from the community in and watch them get started hacking on Node or hacking on React or so many other integrations. So let's talk about the uh, new dev tools themselves that are going to be launching here in the next little while. What's different about them? Why are they changed? Uh, like, I think you kind of talked about why uh, they were reimagined, but are they a success? And what are people, what are developers going to think of as they start using these new dev tools? Sure. Um, so the first thing is in this release, we're not trying to change too much. The most important thing is that if you use Chrome DevTools and you like it, this is going to be pretty consistent, pretty similar. Uh, we added editor tabs, uh, the source tree that was in Chrome DevTools, but previously not in Firefox DevTools. And then we did a lot of UI polish. Everything looks really good, um, should feel snappy um, on top of that. In terms of new features, we've had the most fun just adding library integrations. So because we're using React and we're using Webpack, we feel the pains that 
other people feel when they're building apps that use libraries. So we've done some really fun things with a call stack where if you previously had like 70 frames because React was 20 frames and Webpack was 15 frames and Babel was in there, we can collapse those so it looks really good. And you can kind of see what your library is doing. And we've started using Babel as well in the debugger. And I think we're the first debugger to have a client-side parser. So that what, what does this offer you? Well, if you're using Flow or TypeScript or you're using um, React, we can detect that with the parser and get all that really good data and show it to you as you're previewing a variable and you're hovering over a variable. Or if you want to see all the components in your app or all the types in your, your app, we can do that stuff now. And that's really exciting as well. So it comes from us saying, you know what, instead of trying to build our own thing and make it really good, let's see if we can work more with the community and use community tools and build out this ecosystem. Very cool. So are you saying that in the developer that in developer tools like you would have like flow detection? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Um, so where does that come in? It comes in when maybe you're uh, pausing a function and we realize mm-hmm. that function should have certain parameters of a certain type. And we can show you that. And we can make better previews with that or error detection. Uh, it really opens up a lot of exciting opportunities. Is there any kind of... Uh, so if this is all done, like, client-side, though, I, I, like, is there any kind of, like, performance hit? Like, would you want to turn that off in production? Or... Hmm. Um, we haven't seen a performance hit. Babel is really quite fast. They've done a lot to fine-tune it. And... We've run this on really big files, and it's been, it's been pretty good. We run the parser in a worker, which lets us do it kind of async. And then we can just ask the parser for, let's say, all the functions in the file or all the flow types in the file. Well, that's definitely pretty cool. <laughs> Personally, I just like seeing uh, icons in the source tree. So instead of that like very dull source tree where like you have JavaScript, I know that it shows like the React icon and the Webpack icon, and uh, we can fill it out and maybe show you all of your React components or your um, Redux actions just listed out because we're now parsing it and and thinking about it in terms of like your libraries and what you're using, or I guess all your flow types too. I guess, like, one of my questions, though, is, um, like, would that potentially get noisy if, uh, you know, say I'm looking at someone's app and I'm a developer and I get really curious and I open up their application in in Firefox using the new dev tools and I can see, like, a bunch of errors. Um, But as somebody working on that project, like, would I have the ability to somehow, like, how, is that potentially a problem? Yeah, we we now have a lot more information and we have to think about how we want to show it to people. If we just put everything in there, it could become yeah. pretty noisy. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think of it in terms of 
when you hover on a really big object or like a React component, and it just shows you, or an immutable object, and it shows you everything. And you can't find like that one prop you want or the state you want because you're kind of drowned out by all the, the prototype fields and the events and all the internal data. It's kind of noisy. But if we can say, you know, I know this is a, a flow type. Let's just show you the things that really are important to you. Then we can get the, the best information and format in a way that makes sense. So my dream come true would be to have the debugger and the editor and the previewer all kind of be in one. And it sounds like you, you maybe could get there with this. Like, um, are there, do you have any thoughts on like a, a, a like a remote protocol or, or maybe a local protocol for, for using this in development, changing something in the, the debugger and having it saved? Yeah. Um, we also have thought about integrating it with editors. So because we did the rewrite in React and Redux, it's a really portable uh, tool. We, we did a demo last July of running a debugger in Emacs. We don't use the React components at all, but we have a separate node process with the Redux store. And it knows how to, for instance, add a breakpoint over the remote protocol. And then we have this like, really cool UI with the Emacs gutter that shows you the breakpoint and everything. And so, yeah, my dream would be to integrate this in all the places. So you have a really cool JavaScript debugger in, in all your editors. And we can uh, talk back and forth. Oh, I forgot to mention, because we built it in Redux, it's not just for debugging Firefox, but... Chrome and Node and your web view on your phone. So we want to target all the platforms. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world, talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. So how do you do that? I know there's like a, a remote protocol for mobile. And if I'm not mistaken, the Firefox remote debugger used to hook into the Chrome remote debugger, which like hooked into the WebKit remote debugger, which like hooked into the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've always had that translation layer called Valence. And we've learned a lot from that. And we built the Redux architecture in such a way where we can support different targets. So if you're talking to Node, we can call the same function to add a breakpoint as we would if we're talking to Firefox. And each target knows how to do that small translation for that protocol. It sounds really technical, but... It, it all kind of works, and it's really nice to see. So, so the thought of going, say, full circle on this. Back in the old days, there was this little JS file called Firebug, right? Yeah. And you, you included it in a script tag, and it gave you this console, and that's where all of this came from, right? So um, does this uh, work as a separate component? Like, could I include it in Chrome just... <laughs> 
script tag it in there? Okay. <laughs> um, we see it running as a separate application. I think that will be the really exciting launch where uh, it's kind of like Hyperterm or Atom and we have great plugins. And from there, you can connect to any target. And then Microsoft could finally have a debugger from their browser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're working on an adapter as well because we definitely want a debug edge. Sure. Well, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know they've been wanting that for a long time and F12 just hasn't come quite as far as everything else yet. So that's Kenneth Ochenberg really- has been the guy behind the remote debugger protocol for at least the past three years. And he joined Edge as a PM last year, I want to say. And, and we're chipping away. We really want to make this dream a reality. That is actually pretty exciting. And no worries. Well, because I know like Microsoft's made some great strides in... Um, in their software development, their developer community, like there's so much that's that's gotten better, and, and my view of them has completely changed around since they started paying for me to go out to their conferences. But no, <laughs> it's like seriously though, I, it's it's and um, and VS Code is amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of people are switching to it, and for really good reasons. Yeah, I, that's actually a lot of what we use here at Dapply is is VS Code people that are on GUI editors. And I, I try to get everybody on it because it works on all three platforms. So it's like, yep. you know, if we want to share config files with the linters or whatever, or like tips and tricks, if we're all on VS Code. I mean, of course, it doesn't work for everybody, but, you know, like having a common platform that's like, actually, this is good. You know, <laughs> like this, this actually is good. Um, so. And they've done really nice things with their built-in debugger for Chrome debugging and remote debugging as well. Like we're stealing UI tricks from them. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Firefox is learning from Microsoft. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that the browser wars are over, at least internally. Um, we try to talk as much as we can and, and share tips. That's cool. So do you like Edge? I do. Now, I don't know how much they've done on F12 yet, but I think it's a really cool browser. All right. Well, um, what else have we not talked about yet that would be important to talk about when discussing the new dev tools? Uh, The thing that I like to go back to is the community. Uh, One of the things that I really wanted to create when I came and started working on the debugger was a core team of people who who didn't work for Mozilla, but just loved it and knew they could work on it. And then a group of people who just could come in and come out and and have fun. I know that three years ago, I started working on Chrome DevTools, and there are times when I felt like I was the only one doing it. Uh, I don't know how many people have really contributed to these tools prior. Uh, Firefox was pretty good without... 30 contributors, I want to say, a year to DevTools. And we've just done everything we could uh, to, to build that. And we've had over 150 people make pull requests into the debugger in the past year. And we have 15 or 20 people a week. And I, I never realized how important that would be when we started. I, I knew I wanted it. 
and I'd done open source in the past, but it's really been amazing to help foster that and, and see that come to life. I'm actually kind of curious. So did you say, so did you go to the Recurse Center and you started working on the developer tools there? I started working on Pry and, and BPython there, yeah. And that's kind of, it. was that something that you were interested in and you specifically went to Recurse Center to focus on that? Or was that something that kind of like your curiosity was sparked while you were there? Yeah, I, I went to Recurse just to learn how to do open source. And then when I realized that I could contribute to Pry, especially in the BPython, I was like, this is amazing. Wait, these tools are available? Um, I kind of focused on autocomplete. So like, as you type, you can see which, which properties were in an object or an array or something. And just writing that code and, and seeing what the language has available to you and how you can hack it, it was, yeah, uh, life-changing, I guess, mind-bending, certainly. I feel like that is like like a, a programmer's dream. Like I wish I could <laughs> go to that and just play with stuff for however many months. That would be like a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, my favorite thing is to just jump on a call with people who are getting started. You know, someone jumps on our Slack and is like, so I'm hacking on conditional breakpoints. And I have this, and they have like a really broad question. And I realize like they haven't had that aha yet. And I love to just jump into the Hangout and say, have you tried this? And just like watch them realize that they can work on, like debug the debugger and inspect it and, and see what a breakpoint is and how it works with the browser. It's just, it's so neat to be uh, involved in that as, as people like realize that they, they can do it. And they bring so many ideas to the table that I just never would have thought of. I have recently watched like a lot of videos um, about Blink and stuff for a talk that I've been doing. And mm. so I'm kind of curious, um, how did, I mean, I am coming at this as someone who doesn't have a ton of experience, whereas it sounds like you obviously have a lot of experience. So, but still, I feel like I could learn from you and potentially uh, other developers could learn from you. Like, what was your process um going about like getting started in something like this how did you go about like familiarizing yourself with the code base and um like actually submitting like your first pull request to something like this because this is different than just like an ordinary library or something I mean, this is this is a pretty massive code base <laughs> well blink certainly is uh they have oh god thousands of files of like C++ code yeah. <laughs> and hundreds of JavaScript files. The thing that I wanted to do, you know when you are in the console and you do like zero or you do like this yeah. element and you see a formatted element and then you like yeah. click it and expands? I wanted that thing. And I was sure that like if I was building a DevTools extension, I could just like call into Chrome and it would format an element. And I just remember spending like a week on it, probably 10 hours on like Stack Overflow and Google, like, how do you format an element in DevTools? And that was just like the broadest thing you could look for. And a friend of mine at work said, why don't you just inspect it? And the thing you can do in Chrome, which is amazing, is undock DevTools, command optionize, like open DevTools again. And then with the inspector, you can inspect an element, and you see that the element tree is just HTML itself. And so the first thing that I did was I just tried to figure out 
how can I steal the CSS score, just showing an element, and then write the smallest amount of JavaScript to create that. And then from there, it was just everything else. Like, how does the tree work? How do you edit a, a property and change CSS? I was kind of hooked. So you just picked one small thing and just really like deep dived into that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I tried to just start breaking it in every way I could. It's really cool. I think my next question was, when you're paused, how does it get the arguments to show in like the local scope? Or how does it get this to show in the local scope? And then I saw that it somehow got return or exception. And I had no idea those things were available. So it's just like more and more exploration. And I couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this is something, you know, there's a little bit out there here and there helping you, but, um, you know, there's not, there's not a ton out there. I've tried to like go onto YouTube and I've found videos here and there where they like talk about um, blink some, but. What's yeah. the talk on? Um, I will have to, I'll probably have to put this in the show notes. I have it all in an Evernote doc, but cool. I'll add it there if people are interested. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I really hope more people get involved. I think open source has been building up around libraries like React or Ember or, or whatnot. And the more we can do to build out communities around tools, like the React Dev Tools or Redux Dev Tools or the Dev Tools themselves, uh, the better. There's just so much there that we can do. It's also easier to work on, you know, uh, a JavaScript web app than it is to work on like a library like React, which to me I'd be really intimidated on. Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. All right, well, I think we're about at the end of our time. We can... Uh... Let's go ahead and move into picks. Uh, AJ, do you have some picks for us? I do. I do have some picks for us. So I've picked this before, but I'm going to pick it again. Retro Game Audio. It's a podcast about the, uh, the art history of video game music. So they spent a lot of time talking about the 1980s and about like specific composers, game studios, um, technologies of sound production. One thing that's interesting is they'll talk about like how somebody would try to get a particular sound by changing the frame rate of the screen or something like that. So it would cause a voltage drop on one of the one of the capacitors that would give you kind of a squeak sound instead of a squirt sound or whatever. And so it's just totally fascinating. Um, also, I'm going to pick the movie The Circle. And all I can say about it is it may not be what you expect. Um, 
and then I want to repick Ready Player One because for some reason watching The Circle made me think about my time spent reading Ready Player One. And I'm going to go read The Circle too. Um, and then I'll tell you how that goes as a book. Those are my picks. Awesome. Amy, how about you? Yep, I got some. Uh, so because we were just talking about it, I'll go ahead and pick like all of these. So uh, it's there's a YouTube channel called Blink On, but these are all videos that were posted last year. It's like Blink On 5. Uh, if you are interested in this kind of stuff, like these videos... I've watched them a bunch of times because they're just like fascinating to me. <laughs> I wish I could like get one of the developers in a room and just ask them a million questions. That would be like a dream come true. Uh, anyway, so I will use that as my first pick. And then, cause I always do some kind of like weird food pick. Uh, I it's, it's summer here. It's really spring, but it feels like summer in Nashville. And I've been like, Coding with my windows open, drinking lots of sweet tea with Splenda. So uh, I'm going to pick, it's called Milo's. I don't know if you could actually order it online or if it would even be worth doing that. But uh, if you're like anywhere near the south, they have like this sweet tea that's made with Splenda. So it doesn't have any calories and it's really good. And it just feels good to drink that on my balcony in the summer. So that's it for me. (laughs) Cool. All right. Um, I've just got a single pick, and that's going to be a new board game that I played recently. It was really fun. It's called Deception Murder at Hong Kong. It's a fairly new board game. And it's kind of a mix between your standard werewolf game or mafia, if you've played that. So it's a social deduction game like those are. But it's got a, more rules to it. There's a, another game called Mysterium that came out, I don't know, a year, another board game called Mysterium came out a year, year or two years ago. And it's a mix between the two of those. So just think Werewolf or Mafia, but has a lot more structure to it uh, than those games do and plays fairly, fairly quickly, 20-ish minutes. A lot of fun. Had a great time with it, playing it. So that's, that's going to be my pick. And finally, Jason, how about you? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll pick another podcast that I recently learned about called Yay Query. It's a podcast of old that did a throwback episode last week. It has uh, Paul Irish, Rebecca Murphy, Adam Sontag, and Alex Sexton. And it's just a fun-loving, freewheeling group of people who dive into things they like, things they don't like, where things are going, and made me feel good listening to it. They talked about, uh, obviously, jQuery and some of the things that have gone on since they last met, which has seen React come about and uh, PWAs and just a whole myriad of topics discussed in a fun, happy way, which was really nice. Awesome. Okay, well, uh, thanks again for being on the show, Jason. We really appreciate you taking the time and uh, for all the effort and work that you do to make the community better. And Can I append a pick? Oh, sorry. Oh, please, go right ahead. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pick Joe because he hosted the show wonderfully today. I was going to, but I get, I don't know, self-conscious, and Joe took over, and he's hosting. So that's my pick is Joe. 
because he always always saves the day. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.